Welcome everybody to Secret Sauce, the show where we unpack business tips, life hacks, and advice from industry leaders. I'm Carly Iacono. Today I am joined by Julie Fox, the Senior Vice President of Leasing at Ashkenazi Acquisition Corp. Hello, my friend, Julie. So good to see you. Hey, How Carly. Are you today? Great to see you as well. Thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure. So we are, uh, I'm sure we're all very, I am very excited, and I'm sure our listeners are very excited to hear what's happening with retail leasing post-COVID to current times, because it's something that's changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So before we get into your sort of market insight, why don't we start with a brief overview of Ashkenazi, the type of assets they own, and your role there? Sure. Um, so Ashkenazi is a privately held real estate firm. We're headquartered in New York City. Uh, we have over 15 million square feet of assets that we own that range from shopping centers, our iconic portfolio, hotel and office. So my role is I oversee the shopping center portfolio for them from mainly New York through D.C. Fantastic. Thank you for that background. Let's jump in. So tell me kind of the types of deals you're working on, and then let's segue that into how those have changed and how your leases have changed post-COVID. Sure. I mean, I think right now we're seeing a good mix of national credit tenants that are expanding, that are looking in our portfolio, especially the shopping centers. Um, a lot of discount uh, apparel, a lot of auto repair, uh, fast casual, especially, you know, and urgent care is medical, have been really busting at the seams. They're always calling and, and looking for space. And then we're also seeing, obviously, a good mix of local mom and pops that are also looking for space in our portfolio. So it sounds like it's been a pretty active time where you're in the driver's seat with tenants coming to you, almost, would you say, competing for spaces? Like, What's the overall balance of um, availability to, I would say, tenants reaching out for space? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I would say right now, we're probably from the shopping center portfolio standpoint, probably at least 90% leased. But, you know, with the end of, of December, we, obviously with the holidays ending, we had some, some turnover. So I feel like sometimes as I'm leasing one space, I'm getting another space back. But I look at it as an opportunity, not necessarily a detriment, because, you know, we want to always have the best merchandising in mix in our shopping center. We always want to bring, you know, the best tenants to the market if we have an opportunity to get a space back. I would say, yeah, there's definitely um, heavy competition, especially from the, the food category and the food folks that, you know, if there's a restaurant space that becomes available, for example, they're all competing for that same space that has the kitchen, the hood, the vents. It's good to hear. We like tenant competition. Just makes our retail assets stronger. So I'm glad you're you're fielding that. I'm sure it keeps your job interesting, to say the least. Absolutely. And I really uh, am thankful for the team, the brokerage team that I work with in each region. I really lean on them and work together with my brokers in order to, you know, uh, determine who's the best tenants in that local market. We also appreciate landlords that appreciate brokers. So thank you. No matter if it's leasing or investment sales, they're forever listening. More important than you realize, brokers are very important, the good ones. Um, well, I think it's partially from, you know, my brokerage background. You, you kind of understand that, you know, you need to work together, whether it's working with tenants or working with 
uh, your brokers or tenant rep brokers, it's especially in this climate of challenges that we all do face globally. Uh, we really have to work together to, to get a deal done. It's not, it's not just a quick, simple, easy anymore, whether it's a small thousand square foot tenant or an anchor, an anchor tenant. Mm -hmm. Very true. So what are some of the changes in these deals that you've seen in the last few years? Could be lease term, could be certain clauses, could be escalations. What what sort of differences have you experienced? Well, I think for us, um, you know, a lot of the national tenants always prefer the, the standard, you know, they want to keep rents fixed for five years and then increase every five years. Um, we generally, obviously, as, as a landlord, prefer to have annual increases. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing that with other landlords as well. We want to get our annual increases, especially with the rising cost. So that's always kind of a, a rub where we go back and forth with each other. Um, we're also seeing a lot of increases in our, our CAM cost because of insurance increases. And so we understand that, you know, tenants can only pay whatever their total gross rent, gross occupancy is. So it's a matter of trying to work together and figure out, you know, does that look like a combination of base rent with percentage rent for a particular deal? You know, maybe a smaller base rent working get getting a percentage rent in, if, especially if it's a restaurant tenant. Um, or, you know, we don't like to obviously cap CAM. And so I know a lot of tenants now, they want to see that CAM cap. So that's always kind of a, a clause that we are working through together, especially with our attorneys. So important. The, the CAM caps really can come back to bite you, especially in this inflationary era that we're in. So I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's yeah. not talked about enough. Um, mm -hmm. And it's something that makes me very nervous if I'm underwriting an asset to see the CAM cap and just try to predict when we're going to reach it and when we might be over and what that will mean to the net operating income. So I think that's right. smart that you're you're on top of that. Talk to me for a minute about percentage rent. You said you're you're having requests from tenants for a mix of base and percentage rent, uh, or is that more driven by the landlord side that you think sales are rising? So you're welcoming percentage rent. How do you view it overall as a negative or a positive? Um, I think that as long as we, I mean, from a landlord perspective, most of the percentage rent I'm personally seeing is more if it's a temp tenant who's just maybe entering the market, let's say they're they're in New York and they want to test the market in Philadelphia and they want to do a one-year lease, you know, and so they're asking if they can just pay a percentage rent to, to test the market and see if it's something they want to stay longer. Um, other times, if I'm seeing it with permanent tenants, it's more if they're, for example, a food tenant. Um, and then, you know, maybe their base rent is just a little bit lower than what we would normally want to achieve, but there's a percentage rent component. If they hit over a certain percentage of sales and their break point, if they do well, then, you know, we also get the benefit of, of it as well. So it could be a positive. Could be yeah. a positive. Yeah. Have you, have you seen any change to the base term? I know you mentioned that push and pull between landlord tenant of term, um, mm -hmm. Have you seen any material change or is it really kind of hovering around that five years as a standard? Of course, every lease is different, but. I would say most national tenants want five or 10 years with mm -hmm. their standard, you know, one or two five-year options. We generally uh, don't, as a landlord, like to give out options, obviously, because it doesn't benefit us as a landlord. It kind of gives the tenant the unilateral right to exercise the option to renew. Um, and honestly, nowadays, even even if a tenant does have an option, they don't they're not necessarily just exercising that option with the rent that's already been negotiated. They'll pick up the phone and give us a call and say, hey, 
I know my option is X, Y, and Z, but I don't really want to pay that option rent. Can we negotiate? So I would say to us, we we don't really like to give out options as well, even though obviously it's on a case by case scenario. But if it's a if it's a mom and pop tenant, we it's generally just primary term. And we're a lot more flexible. I mean, if they wanna, if it's a space that's in ready condition and we're delivering it as is, I don't have a problem that you know, giving a three-year lease or a five-year lease if a local mom and pop wants to test the market. Interesting. And that probably brings that wonderful product mix and diversity to your center that you mentioned at the beginning that really drives traffic by mixing in some of those local tenants that maybe have unique uses. Right. Absolutely. I think for us, one of the biggest difference we've seen is the landlord delivery. Um, As you can imagine, with the cost of construction rising, as well as the availability of, for example, the HVAC unit that's now on back order for eight to 10 months, right? A lot of times we would prefer to obviously deliver the space in as is condition and give rent abatement. So that's something that I'm really pushing and seeing a lot of. Obviously, you know, depending on who the tenant is, they prefer for us to give vanilla box with TI. So that's also something that when we get into the LOI negotiations, we spend a lot of time with our construction team working on that before the deal even goes into committee. Do you feel that you have a a better pulse on those mechanicals and the the deliverables that are being slowed down than some of the tenants do? Or are you saying you just want to remove yourself from that equation and have all the waiting and the struggle with getting these stuff in on the tenant? We would prefer to remove ourselves from it. Yeah, obviously we would prefer to deliver the space in as is condition and give you some form of rent abatement because the tenant has to, you know, build out the space anyway. If we had to, for example, replace the HVAC or do certain things into the space, if we had to go in for drawings and permitting, that only delays the time that we would be able to deliver the space to the tenant before they even take possession to start their construction. Right, right. Yeah. And how have costs changed? Have you seen a material change to construction costs? I've seen material change, but I've also seen labor change as mm, well. Exactly. There's been an increase in labor costs as well. Um, that's definitely something that we're we're watching, and it's an, it's obviously affecting us even from, you know, the vendor standpoint for for right. property management and managing our property, whether it's landscapers or you know, uh, parking lot repairs and so forth. Labor costs have gone up, and it's funny because it's probably such a huge differential from the last few years. But so much of the the media and the reporting is on the cost of the hard goods, right? The actual HVAC unit. But if you have to pay more to get it installed or there's no one there to install it, that's probably inflating the price as much, if not more, of a lot of these uh, construction elements. Yeah. I'm absolutely. glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, I understand from the tenant side, you know, they're seeing increase, for example, if their restaurant, they're seeing increase in food costs, you know, they're seeing increase right. in their occupancy. So we do get, you know, it, it is really trying to work together with our tenants because, you know, let's say they're struggling, um, you know, to pay their rent, for example, especially the mom and pop. Do you do you not work with them, but then lose the potential tenant, go dark and have to market right. the space and then have the downtime with no rent? Um, or do you work with the tenant in order to come to an agreement. And I think that's something that probably all landlords are facing, um, you know, at this point as well. Yeah, that's a tough call. 
It yeah. really is. I guess it's how much do you believe in their business plan and their future ability to kind of right the ship, given all the economic functions that we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Switching gears a bit, are there any tenants, you mentioned a few uses that were coming into your center, but there are any specific tenants or concepts that you're really excited about or you think are, are very interesting that are either new in the center or coming down the pipeline? Um, I'm seeing some interesting, really interesting food uses coming in, mm -hmm. especially in um, the like uh, like the Fort Lee market. You know, there's all these new kind of um, mochi concepts and Korean style hot dogs and and so forth that I think are we're seeing a lot more. I think even a ethnic food coming into the marketplace. You know, whether you know being fast casual, like fast casual Indian, fast casual in addition to like kind of like the Chipotle model. And I think that's kind of very interesting to see more. Um, I love that diversity. Yeah. I think it's, it's really fun to have the new concepts, the mochi and the boba and all that kind of expand out right into different areas. I think it's, it's really neat. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So before we move on to the second part of the show, anything else about the market, your job, the the tenants, anything else you'd like to share business related? Yeah, I think the interesting thing that we're finding also is, you know, when we talk about the urban markets, there's a difference between the neighborhood, you know, shopping centers versus the CBD. And right now with the CBD um, and office core, obviously we're seeing, especially even in DC, for example, where there's an impact on whether workers are going back to work. So right now, you know, um, I would say that, you know, since the government has a mandate for employees to go back, obviously we're seeing a shift in that from, you know, who's, what tenants would be vibrant um, in there since the workers are not completely back, you know, downtown or in the CBD area. So the mindset is no longer let's hold out until everybody comes back to the office. It sounds like it's becoming a little more tangible that the the hybrid model might be here to stay long term. And and how are you going to adapt the retail to accommodate that? Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. And are you seeing a, a different tenant mix or maybe just emphasis placed on centers kind of outside the core areas or corridors? Like, how are you seeing that? kind of put into play and in practicality? Uh, I'm seeing a lot of service, a lot of service tenants, you know, where obviously if it's in the residential areas, whether it's, you know, the laundromat or the dry cleaner or services that people still need um, that live on those corridors, really um, requesting space and, and being successful. So the services that maybe used to be near the office parks are now more, moving more into the suburban areas. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that makes sense. Right. At yeah. some point, we have to all accept this hybrid model is uh, is maybe going to be here for the long haul. Yeah. That's so, right. Instead right. of return to office, it's like maybe it's not going to be exactly how it was in 2019. And we all need to, to start adapting. So yeah. It sounds like you're on the forefront of that, which is great. Very interesting. So before we wrap up, I want to highlight and, and give you a chance to, to touch on one more thing that obviously is important to both of us, and that's your other involvement in the industry, sort of your secret sauce on how you're giving back, how you're making yourself produ productive, if you'd like to go that direction, but certainly how you're making an impact on commercial real estate outside of your day-to-day -day business. Sure. So, um, 
we started a group, Courtney Reckle and myself, actually about seven years ago. Um, we, I saw that there was a really when we attended one of the conferences in Philadelphia, there was a group for women to come together and talk about different issues like work-life balance and so forth. And it was such a great discussion. I think we had about 50 or 60 women in that room at that conference. And suddenly a light bulb just kind of clicked and said, you know what, this would be really great if there was an opportunity for us to continue to have dialogue together and not just wait to meet annually at you know, New York ICSC or Vegas ICSC. Why don't you know we have a network where we can really come together to support each other to help each other to really build a pipeline. So the pipeline um, was started seven years ago and its vision is to really create a support networking group for women in commercial real estate to be able to help each other. Um, and I'm really excited, you know, especially as you're have involved in it, we've grown now to over 300 women since we started. More to come, but I think the, <laughs> You know, the takeaway, if you're not in the New York area, is is this is a need and this is something that could be extrapolated anywhere in the country. But really, the baseline is working together, coming together, getting more women into the industry and then really supporting the ones that are here at all levels of their career. And you've done a great job bringing people together from all different avenues, right? None of us really do exactly, I'm sure some of us do the same thing, but it's a matter of finding synergies in unusual ways just by being together. And you've done a really good job of facilitating opportunities for that. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the great thing is that um, our group consists of women that are landlords, retailers, folks in the insurance, title insurance, lenders, bankers, um, construction architects, really anyone that touches this touches commercial real estate. It's very inclusive from that standpoint. And I think what's really great is that since COVID occurred, we weren't able to really meet monthly where we were having monthly events, whether they were educational or networking with really just in the Northeast region. Um, but because of COVID, we couldn't meet in person. So we had to start doing virtual events. Um, and then as a result of that, a lot of the women also moved during COVID to other parts of the country. So now we have women that are really all over the country and we still run a parallel path of in-person events as well as virtual events. So we're able to connect all across the country. It's a great, great organization. Thank you for all your contributions, Julie. It's, it's really, you've built something wonderful. Thanks. Before we sign off, any other life hacks or tips or things that you want to share with today's listeners? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the life hack and I would say that one of the things that I think has helped me to be successful is really I focus on two things when I think about if it's something that I want to get myself involved in. Um, I focus on whether it, one is it something that I, I'm good at. You know, what is what are the strengths that I have that I could bring to the table? And then also is what am I passionate about? So I think even for the success of Pipeline, for example, I know that my strengths, you know, are, for example, I'm a good connector. I can um, be a bridge. I've always known that about myself. And then I know that, you know, when I think about what is what what solution can I bring to a problem? And I think that if we think about in our everyday life, you know, where are the problems around me and how can I be that solution to that problem, bringing my strength and my passion to it, it kind of guarantees that you're kind of going to be indispensable, you know, because not only do you, are you good at what you're doing, but you also care about it because it's your passion. It's what you care about and you're bringing a solution to something. So I, I would think that, you know, when I think about just 
being purposeful, being intentional, you know, especially since we only have so many hours in, in the day to dedicate to, to our passions and our projects is really those two key things that have really helped me to stay focused. May we all find more opportunities to mix our skills and our passions together, right? That's really when the magic happens. And I think everyone knows when you're in that zone, but it's hard to to stay focused on it and maintain that. But that's a great reminder. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. This was a lot of fun. I'm so glad you could join us today. Thank you for your time. And for everyone listening, that was Secret Sauce. Be sure to tune in very soon. And we hope you all have a great day. Thanks so much. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Carly.